Hey everyone and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven. That is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And today is obviously a book episode if you didn't catch it from the intro or my really geeky point at my wife and her books. Well, they couldn't exactly see that part. (laughs) This week we have a couple of news things, not as much as last week, surprisingly. The first being that Netflix is adapting Erich Maria Remark's anti-war novel All Quiet on the Western Front into a movie. They began production in March of this year, and the crew is currently filming near Prague. Leslie Paterson and Ian Stokewell wrote the screenplay. The book All Quiet on the Western Front came out in January 1929. The novel is based on Remark's experiences during World War I, He focuses on the reality of wartime for young men and the disillusionment felt by many pertaining to the Great War. The movie is expected to come to Netflix during the second half of 2022. Interesting. I've heard of this book before, but I've never wanted to read it because I don't like war books. Right. Though I do appreciate that it's anti-war. It is. It's not one I've ever read, but I do know a little bit about it. Yeah. And Meghan Markle, the Duchess of Sussex, is now set to become an author with her debut children's book that will be published on June 8th. The Bench, which was inspired by her husband Prince Harry and her son Archie, is set to show the special bond between a father and a son as seen through a mother's eyes. The book started as a poem she had written for Prince Harry on Father's Day, and it turned into this story. The picture book will end up being illustrated by Christian Robinson. Okay. I don't know who that is, but I probably should. I don't know who it is either, so you probably shouldn't. What I found interesting about this is that some people are saying she's plagiarized someone else, and I don't want to give that opinion any sort of validity with no experience in what they're saying has been ripped off and... Meghan Markle's book, because I haven't read either one of those things. Yeah. But it sort of feels like because she is the Duchess of Sussex, that that makes her like an open target for these. Does she still have the title? I thought they separated from the royal family. I believe they still keep the title, even though they've separated from the family. Okay. I believe that's how that works. But I'm just an American in the middle of nowhere, Texas. So what do I know? It's true. And there has been a new COVID-inspired book that has come out. Students tell their COVID stories in a new book called The COVID Chronicles, College Students Navigate Pandemic Life. It is a series of personal essays written by Castleton University students that has been compiled by Professor David Blow. This project started last fall with the professor looking for a way to teach through a screen. The 110-page book is now available on Amazon. They are doing a small print run for the university in Arizona, I believe it was. So if you're at the university, you could pick up a physical copy. Otherwise, you're going to have to get it through Amazon, which is sad. But yeah, across 18 chapters, students share personal firsthand accounts of the pandemic, their fears and anxieties, their dark moments of isolation and bright spots of hope. It sounded interesting. Yeah. But I think the biggest news to come out of this past week is that we finally have a title and release date for Sarah J. Mass's latest book in the Crescent City series. Book number two will be called House of Sky and Breath and will be released on January 25th of 2022. This has been pushed back from the original release date, which was November 2nd of 2021. And the only way I know that is because I had a spreadsheet because I'm that person. (laughs) So it's not being pushed back a lot. It's just being pushed back somewhat. Gotcha. And I think I decided I'm going to try to reread House of Earth and Blood as my last read for 2021. And then I could go into it remembering what happened because that is a chunky boy and a lot of things happen. It's going to be dense, I'm sure, just because. She writes thick boys. Yeah. Thick books. I should clarify. Yeah. The boys in the books aren't necessarily They're thick. thick. There's some thick boys in the thick book. (laughs) 
<laughs> she writes some chonky books. Got it. I'll put it that way. Got it. I'm excited for it. I remember thinking that a lot of what happened in House of Earth and Blood was a little ridiculous, but being like down to go there and it was fine. But I really don't know where the series is going to go from here or even, you know, how long the series is supposed to be. But that's about it as far as news for the week goes. There wasn't a ton happening except for, you know, people are getting cast for small roles for things that we've already talked about before. So it's not like news news. I, I had one piece of news before we move on. Okay. And it, it kind of comes from the sports world a little bit, but kind of not. I did that last week, so I guess you're fine. <laughs> um, so Roger Federer uh, announced that he is going to be releasing a series called Globy and Roger. It's a children's comic book where... With that title, it better be. <laughs> right. Globy is a blue parrot. Not what I expected, but okay. Basically, Globy, though, is like Mickey Mouse, I guess, in Switzerland to kids. Like, it's like he's a children's cartoon. So it's already a thing. Yeah, it's like a crossover between Roger Federer and and Globy. But they're going to have like a series of children's books that are coming out. Children's comic books. So I had to get my sports thing in there. Tennis, which is not one we normally talk about too much. We really don't. Yeah, but he did a thing. Book related, no less. So what are they supposed to do in the comic? I really don't know. <laughs> Are they solving mysteries? Because I'd be down for that more than like a tennis-based book. I'm, I'm going to read really quick dense into the article just to see. Oh, so it's him and Roger Federer going to Wimbledon to play tennis together. And they also will be visiting schools in Africa to help grow education in Africa. That's, that's And solving <laughs> murders on the way. I, I don't know. But that's, that's what's happening. You know, children don't read most anything. I think they're fine. But the comic will be available in German, English, and French. As well, you can buy it on audiobook CD. Because <laughs> people buy books on CD still, right? Absolutely not. <laughs> I don't even have anything that will play a CD. <laughs> That's not true. You do. What do I have? The Xbox will play a CD. But for how much longer? Not that much longer. Yeah. <laughs> but I figured I'd put my two cents in with a little silly story for uh, the book episode. It's just a weird combination of things for that. But who doesn't love cute little blue parrots? But for the tag this week, we have ten questions that I pulled from multiple things, so I don't have a tag title for you. The first question is, name a book that you have picked up once and never want to pick up again. <sighs> um... It'd probably be a book that I read, like, in high school, and I, I, I'm really not, like, s- stuck on particularly one. There are a few of them that I had to read where I was just like, yeah. But I don't think I would ever read, like, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe series ever again. I just don't know that I could go through a reread with that series. I feel like it would be hard to read as an adult just because you read it and it's so heavy with, like, all this allegory about, like, Christianity and stuff, and it's heavy-handed and as a kid you miss a lot of that like i don't remember much of that and i read it as a child so like yeah i've attempted to read the lion the witch and the wardrobe and it's just too heavy-handed for me yeah like it's not like i can't read it it's like i don't want to read it but that's not my pick my pick is behind closed doors by b.a paris it's a story about a supposedly perfect couple with a completely different story behind closed doors And so it's about an abusive relationship and that for its own reasons, I don't want to reread, but also like the portrayal of abuse and the people who are victims of abuse is just very inaccurate. And like, it makes it seem like the victim is choosing to be a victim and to stay there. And like, it gets really dark and ugly. And I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Right. So hard pass. I think I rated that one one star when I read it. Oof. Well-deserved, though. Yes. Name a book that has kept you up all night. That hasn't happened since you started reading with me, because I think I'd kick you. I I don't really read at night that much, um, only because I enjoy sleep. (laughs) Um, More than anyone else I know. But it was probably, like, the last book that I actually, like, stayed up and I say stayed up, but realistically it was probably like 11.30 or so, because I'm old, was the Insurgent series. I feel like I, like when those books dropped, I I read them fairly late at night. 
You mean the Divergent series? Insurgent is book two? Oh, yes, the Divergent series. There I am. That's my book knowledge right there. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it it was the last one that really, like, I stayed up and read. Yeah. yeah. It's very action-y. Yeah. For me, the main one that comes to mind for this type of question is And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie, just because it's the funniest time that's ever happened to me. Got it. Because I finished reading And Then There Were None, and it was, like, three in the morning or some ridiculous time and I had to go to the bathroom before I went to bed and I was too scared to leave my room and so I called my mom on her cell phone and was like mom you need to come get me and walk me to the bathroom and she ends up doing it but she's like completely out of it and groggy and that was just hilarious that is truly hilarious but I also did it with the Raven Boys by Maggie Steve Otter because I got to the twist at the beginning And if you've read The Raven Boys, you probably know what I'm talking about. And I was like, excuse me? I can't stop reading now. And so I kept reading. I think it was like two in the morning by the time I stopped. I was going to say, for the people that haven't read that book, like me, I have no idea what you're talking about. Just wait. Just you wait. I know you have plans for me to try to read that book, so. What is a book that you will never get sick of? So you could read it over and over and over. I haven't really been in that predicament, but I would... I would say, like, the first three or four Harry Potter books don't really get old for me. Like, I, I read them when I was younger, and I was still turning pages when I was reading them again when we did the reread. So I would say that's probably a pretty safe bet. For me, I said there's obviously Harry Potter, because yeah. it's got a certain rereadability that a lot of books don't. But also, I think any of the later Grishaverse books, books i don't particularly think that shadow and bone siege and storm and ruin and rising have that rereadability because they're some of the first things that lee bardugo has ever written so they're not great they're good not great but the later books especially six of crows i could reread without getting sick of i could also probably reread renegades by marissa meyer over and over because it's like a new take on superheroes And you get a morally gray main character, which you know I like. I know you love, not just like, to be honest. What is the book you have most recently purchased? (laughs) The stupid books that we bought (laughs) from the small bookstore. I forgot about that. They're literally right next to it. I literally bought a book titled Illinois and California. (laughs) By Dana Fuller Ross. Don't even know who the person is. But I, I don't thought, either, but I, they look ridiculous. I'll put they, photos up. They were old and they were kind of cool looking, so like I was cool? like... Cool? Yeah. Do they look cool? Yeah. They don't look cool. Like one of them is so yellowed out on the pages though, like it's almost yeah. like they took a highlighter to it. They very well may have. They didn't. But the Illinois book is technically called Wagons West. It's 18th in the series apparently. But it talks about the brave men and stormy women who forge a mighty dynasty in America's proudest times. It's probably a really good Why book. are they brave men but stormy women? I don't know. That's the worst. <laughs> and that was the Illinois book. The California book is the sixth book in the Wagons West series. It is the heroic saga of desire, defiance, and adventure in a wild country inflamed by the lust for gold. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to be great books. I'm just saying right now, like five out of five for sure. If you don't give any of the books in the villains duology five, but you give those five, I'm kicking you out of the house. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. For me, I bought the Shadow and Bone Collector's Edition because of course I did after watching the TV show. But I also got Wild Card by Marie Lu because we're going to read that together when we do the Warcross duology, I guess. Mm -hmm. What is a book series or just a single book that you want to read again? I don't know that I really have one that I'm like dead set on right now because I'm like the goal is to read as much as possible, as for much you. new books as possible. Yeah. So that I can answer these questions better in the future. <laughs> <laughs> um, that will be a fun time. <laughs> yeah. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> I'm just hoping that it all stays in my head. Like my main concern is like trapping all that information because like. I don't know. I I really don't have one where I'm like, yep, that's it. I think my desire to reread Daughter of Smoke and Bone by Lainey Taylor got triggered the other day because we went to Barnes and Noble to look around. Yeah. And 
I saw a new set of the covers for Daughter of Smoke and Bone, and I, like, lost my mind, and I wanted to buy them all, but they were all ridiculously expensive, so I didn't. Right. But now I want to reread them. Who is an author you've read from and would like to read more books from? I kind of want to read more V.E. Schwab because I kind of like the dark style of writing that she had in in the duology, um, the Vicious duology. So I wouldn't mind reading more V.E. Schwab. I feel like it would be good. I completely agree. Mine said this is the easy answer. I've technically only read the Villains duology from her and then the Cassidy Blake middle grade series from her. But she has other adult and YA, I believe, series Okay. that I've just never gotten into. So I feel like those might be good to read. But also there's an author that I've never mentioned on the podcast before called Tracy Hunter Abramson. This was a NetGalley oopsie, like the second month I was on NetGalley. I requested one of her books for review and it's part of a standalone series. So you can read it by itself, but it makes more sense if you read it in order. Okay. And I requested the third book in the standalone series thing. And it was about a secret government agency and one of the agents who has to protect someone he used to know before his supposed death. Yeah. And they clash because she's like, I thought you were dead for however many years or whatever. And then they go back to being a couple by the end of the book. But it was like very actiony and it had that sort of main male romantic interest who was very protective. But at the same time, like he has no reason to be like jealous or overprotective in that way yeah he's just being overprotective because that was his job to protect her it was good sounds good so i'd like to read the rest of that series at some point i just haven't that makes sense on the other side of the coin is who's an author you never want to read from again and and this isn't because of what's going on with her right now but like i, I have really no motivation to read anything by jk rowling ever again i support this Here's my thing. She should have stopped writing and stopped being just in social co- media after book seven of Harry Potter. And just collect the money. Like, just sit tight, shut Con- up, and go enjoy the ride. Continue selling the franchise out, whoring it out to... Whoever. Whoever wants to make a theme park or merchandise or whatever. Absolutely. And just live off that. Right. Because you could. She could have. Absolutely. But then she made garbage for several years and then she acted like garbage for several years and won't shut up yeah so i can support that completely for my answer i said so many very (laughs) many the first one that i wrote down is aj finn who wrote the woman in the window with what i would think of is a completely unreliable narrator but the twist of the book is that she wasn't an unreliable narrator and she was being gaslit the whole time and like no I never want to read from this person again. (laughs) I also read a series by C.C. Hunter, and it, like, a garbage paranormal romance series that had some cute moments that I liked, but then the rest of it was just trash. Okay. And one is an author that I only read because your mother gave me a book from them, and that is Colson Whitehead. I read Sag Harbor from him earlier this year, and... He was very pretentious, and I really didn't like the book at all. I believe I rated that one 1.5 stars, so I would never want to read from him again. I know he's popular as, like, look, I've read this guy. Aren't I such a great person or whatever? Yeah. But, like, it's bad writing, and you shouldn't have to read it just because it'll give you some sort of street cred. Right. Who is a main character that drives you crazy? In what way? Like... However you want to take it. Um, it could be their poor life decisions. It could be their mood throughout the novel. If I had to pick a character, I think it would be at times Harry from Harry Potter just because like he does such stupid things, but he's supposed to be smart enough. Like He not makes some very poor choices. And and it's aggravating. Yeah. Also he's very oblivious. Yeah, completely. He's very naive and oblivious. But I mean, having grown up in an abusive household, I don't know that I can hold that against him, per se, but he does make it hard to, like, be on his side all the time. Right. My choice was 
Quentin Coldwater from the Magician series by Lev Grossman, which I think I rated 1.5 or 1.75 stars. He's pretentious, makes stupid decisions, and is constantly depressed despite living in a world a ton of people would want to live in. Like, he's going to a magical school and he's all woe is me and depression and like, this is such a burden. Right. You know what's a burden? Living in the real world. Shut up. (laughs) What's a book you had to read for school and did you like it or not? I don't really remember back to all this. So, like, this would be the one question I wish I would have had a little earlier on. And I will admit was my fault because you were going to offer them to me. But I didn't have time to sit there and write them down. I don't know. Most of the ones that I read in school, I didn't really have a problem with. I actually enjoyed most of them. So, I don't really have one that I was, like, meh about. The one that I brought up was The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. I feel like every kid had to read this in high school for some reason. Yeah. I didn't enjoy it. I felt like nothing was going on. And we had yet another condescending male main character. Because he was all like, these people are so stupid and they're pretenders. And I remember him saying that at one point. It was so stupid. I don't know. I enjoyed that book, but it was so long ago. If I'm sure if I reread it, I'd probably have a different opinion on it now. But like, I feel like that's really the reason why. It's just like, I have decent memories with all these books, but I was young and dumb. So, like, it's quite a possibility that now, being in my 30s, I'd have a different perspective on them. Right. So. Well, and it's one of those books that I felt like it was supposed to say something or do something, and I'm supposed to be, like, impacted by it. Right. But when I was reading it, I'm like, this guy's just a jerk. How does this have any value? Why is this a school book? Right. And the last question is, what is your favorite fight scene from a book? Ooh. I knew you'd like that question. I think the most epic has to, no matter what, be the battle scene in Hogwarts. Like The Battle of Hogwarts? It truthfully has to be the most brutal one. Like, you gotta think, like, just everything that goes on in the hallways and everything that, like... Just... It's a huge battle yeah. throughout the castle. Right. And, and, like, even leading up to it, like, you have intense battles in the hallways with, like, Snape and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. so, like... That, that one is the one that takes the cake, I think. Yeah. I said that there's a really good fight scene in Skyward by Brandon Sanderson, which is a YA sci-fi about a girl joining a flight school to protect her planet from aliens. And, like, Brandon Sanderson does a really good job of putting you in the cockpit with her and being able to, like, see the fight as she is seeing it and being able to picture everything like you're there. Yeah. And being someone who reads a lot of fantasy and sci-fi, that's sort of a rarity because a lot of people, they get into writing fight scenes and it gets all muddled and really hard to see what's happening and how it's happening and how you're supposed to be impacted by this fight. But I feel like Brandon Sanderson does a really good job with it. Then I'm looking forward to reading that. Probably this fall because the next book comes out this fall. Okay. But that has been the 10 questions for our tag section. Hooray. And now I'm about to get shamed. Why? Because I read five books this past week. Oh, Jesus. That's right. Uh, Technically, two were like novella-sized. So it's true. do they really count? Yes, they, they are technically still books. Rude. All right. <laughs> so the first thing I read was And Then She Vanished by Nick Jones. It's a new release from February of 2021, I believe. I think it got released earlier for the UK and then it came out in the US in February of 2021, I believe. It's book number one in the Joseph Bridgman series. It's an adult fantasy slash magical realism slash sci-fi question mark because the book is about a man who discovers an ability to go back in time and uses it to try to save his little sister who went missing when he was a teenager The reason I'm not sure which category it belongs in is it's a contemporary story. It's happening in our timeline for a while, at least. But then when he does time travel, it's not because of technology. It's because of an ability that he has. So I want to call it fantasy more than sci-fi. Got it. But either way, I rated it three stars. It was good, not great. I felt like in the action-y parts of this book, it's like I said earlier, it gets muddled and it's a little hard 
to understand. But also in this, this guy opens up a bunch of loops that he has to close because that's how time travel works. And I felt like there was one giant open loop at the end of the book. And it's like, you just changed everything, but somehow you still did the thing to learn how to time travel. And it's like, if you changed everything, you shouldn't have ever had to learn how to time travel. So that just seemed like a mistake. Yeah. It was still decently written and pretty fast paced. I feel like I read it really fast in like a day and a half or two days. So three star, good, not great. And then I read a book that is definitely not even good. And it is The Past by Tessa Hadley. It's a backlist from 2016. It's an adult literary fiction about a family going to their country cottage in England one last time before they put the home up for sale. The blurb on Goodreads says that it's like this tense vacation because they have a lot of unspoken family secrets that have to come out but no family secrets ever come out throughout the entire novel and the only one (laughs) that I think even exists is like hinted at like you're supposed to put it together on your own without it ever being stated on the page that one of these people is technically the half sibling of everyone else and that they have a different dad but like It's not even stated at on the page. It's the broadest strokes of a hint. And so it never really goes anywhere. And this is one of those books that your mom gave me for Christmas that I set out to read because it's a present and I need to read it. And I rated it one star. It was something that, like, I had a hard time reading it because of the format. Because they don't use quotation marks. They use a dash And it's not even like there's a dash on either side of the dialogue. It's just on the front of the dialogue. So any dialogue that's embedded in the narration in a paragraph just blended in with the rest of the paragraph because, like, I can't believe she said all of that, but then it turns out that some of that was just thought in her head, but there's no way of knowing and differentiating. Yeah. And someone on my blog told me that They live in Hungary, and that is the way that their books are written with that format. I was like, how do you read that? And she said, I don't know how you read with quotes around the dialogue because it separates me out from the story too much. And I was like, I guess it depends on how you grew up. Yeah, or your reading style, truthfully. Like, that's just weird. Because you you would think quotations would make more sense because you're boxing out what they're actually saying. Right, but for some people, apparently... When you do that, it pulls them too far out of the story to stay with what's happening. I don't know. Yeah. But I read it. It's over. And I have now read all the books your mother gave me for Christmas. Hooray. Hopefully she doesn't give you more for your birthday or for Christmas again. I like books as presents, but more in the here's a gift card, buy whatever books you want kind of way. But I am glad that she knew that I like books. And she knew me well enough to know that I would want books as presents. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction. For sure. And then I read a fun, cute little story called Lycanthropy and Other Chronic Illnesses by Kristen O'Neill. It's a new release from the tail end of April. It's a standalone new adult contemporary slash magical realism slash speculative fiction. Okay. Because there's like a fantastical element to the story. A girl named Priya is newly diagnosed with Lyme disease and makes friends with a group of people in the online chronic illness support group called Oof, Ouch, My Bones. <laughs> Which, that's a whole movie. Why are you not a part of that group? Right? When one of them goes missing, Priya is on the case to find her, but what she finds might end up being too much for her to handle. I rated it 3.5 stars. Obviously, you know what the magical element of the story is. But I completely agree with the Goodreads little blurb that they have about it, that it's like a combination of Teen Wolf and like a contemporary story because it has the same sort of like sense of humor and like a little bit over the top, but still it's pretty good. And there was a lot of stuff about chronic illness that I felt had good representation and it wasn't one of those what I call sick lit books, which is just inspiration for able-bodied people and like look how well they're doing despite their illness and they're not letting it get them down and all that yes 
They're not just trying to use it as like a subject point to motivate people. And so I thought it did a good job with the chronic illness representation and how it's not always an inspiration and sometimes it is just really crappy. Yeah. I cannot speak to the representation of the people of color who are in this book because I'm a white girl from the middle of nowhere America. There are some reviews out here that have not said such great things about the POC rep in the book, especially since the main character is a person of color, but the author is a white woman. And so people don't enjoy the fact that a white woman is writing about a person of color, which is something that she cannot speak to. I don't know anything about the rep. I can't speak to that. I can just say some people have a problem with it. The reality is, though, like, in the same thing as, like, an acting role, people go and try to learn and research as much as they can about a subject. So for all we know, she did some form of research, but I don't know. Like it. I think if you're a person of color, you're the only person who can speak to how well the representation is pulled off. Yeah. Whether or not she did something to try to portray it Better. Better yeah. doesn't take away from how it is actually portrayed. Right. So. It's it's a fine line. Yeah. But obviously you listen to people of color before you listen to white people like me. Yeah. As a whole, though, I thought it was a pretty good story. It was very obviously her debut novel. Like, it's one of those things where, like, you can kind of see inexperience in the writing. Yeah. But it was still a good, fun story. It's good. I like that it was a standalone and that they weren't trying to make it into a series because I don't think the story has enough to support any more books. And the first novella that I read for the week was Every Heart a Doorway by Seanan McGuire. This is a backlist from 2016. It's book number one in the Wayward Children series. And I classify this as an adult portal fantasy novel. Some people would disagree with me because the main characters are teenage, but this is like... A YA for adults is what some people would call it. Like, it's obviously an adult novel, but it's featuring younger characters. I was kind of in that weird situation where I was like, is this YA or is this adult? Because, like, there were things as, like, a young adult that were discussed that some young adults might not relate to and vice versa. So, like, some situations where adults wouldn't really recognize it. I feel like, again, it walked a line that kind of allowed it to be both? I definitely think it's an adult fantasy novel. At least new adult, like roughly? Sure. Okay. But a girl is having trouble adjusting to being back home from a portal world and is sent to Eleanor West's home for wayward children to adjust to reality. I rated it originally four stars, and I think I'm sticking with that rating. I reread this book to discuss on the podcast with you, so we'll get into it later. Yeah, I haven't given it my rating yet. I plan on today. And then the next novella length thing that I've read is The Lives of Saints by Lee Bardugo. It is a new release from fall of 2020. It's a bunch of stories about the saints from the Grishaverse bound together with some illustrations, which was nice. It's technically an in-universe book. It's kind of like Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them and Quidditch Through the Ages are in-world books for Harry Potter. This is an in-world book for the Grishaverse. I ended up giving an average rating of 3.55 stars. So I rated every one of the 28 stories and then averaged that out. So it was pretty good for a collection of stories. That's actually a pretty good rating. Yeah. A lot of anthologies that I read are like 3, 3.2 or whatever. So this is decent. I really enjoyed some of the stories, but some of them just felt like too sweet and cute. And (laughs) the reason that I say that is because she has a collection of fairy tales from the in-world Grishaverse called The Language of Thorns. And they were all fairy tales that were pretty dark and twisted and like, sort of subverts expectations about what a fairy tale is supposed to be. And I loved that when I was reading The Language of Thorns, and I felt like the same thing was going to happen with Lives of Saints. And it just, it didn't go there. Like, it didn't go as dark as I felt like it could have and should have. These saints are all revered 
in the land of Ravka, and Ravka is a very war-torn country in the Grishaverse, so I feel like their saints should also be kind of dark and twisty. They could also be cheery, though, to try to, like, cheer people up that are dealing with, like, dark crap. Yeah, yeah. But just from my experience with her writing, I expected it to be darker than it was, and I don't know what that says about me that I'd prefer it to be dark, (laughs) but there we are. Right. But that is all five books that I've read this week. Holy macaronis. Page count, it's more than I normally get done in a week, but your mother is visiting us this weekend into the next week, so I need to get ahead on my reading for the month. You're ahead of your reading for the year already, so like... Next week, I will hit my yearly reading goal, yes. (laughs) Let's not discuss it. Let's talk about what I plan on reading next. So the next book I plan on reading is The Shadows of London by Nick Jones. This is a NetGalley arc. The book comes out on June 1st. I believe it's available for pre-order. It's book number two in the Joseph Bridgman series. It's going to continue where the last one left off. Joseph is dragged into a group of time travelers and forced to travel back to 1960s London, where he ends up running into a bunch of gangsters. Fun. I mean, I don't know how much fun he's going to have, but... Yeah. Running into a bunch of gangsters is not usually a good time. Good for books, though. Yes. And then I'll be continuing my read of the Witchland series by Susan Dennard by reading for the first time Sight Witch. It's a backlist from 2018, and technically it's a novella between books in the series. So it's book number 2.5 in the Witchland series. It's a novella that features Ryber, who is a Sight Witch sister at a secluded convent. She is supposed to be gifted with the gift of foretelling, but when it doesn't happen, she becomes the only one in the convent without it, and then it goes from there. I didn't read this in my original marathon through of the series last year when I picked it up for the first time because I was under the impression it wasn't, like, required, but there is currently a group reading through the series, and they say that you should. Yeah. So I'm going to read that where it supposedly fits between books two and three. Sounds good. And I'm rereading the series before the fourth book comes out this summer. And I'm also continuing my reread of the Truly Devious series by Maureen Johnson. I'll be picking up book three, The Hand on the Wall. It's a backlist from 2020, and it is technically book three in the series, so it's going to finish out the arc of those mysteries and those questions we had in books one and two. That's good. Stevie Bell believes that she has finally cracked the Ellingham case, but just when she's triumphing, others are dying. Stevie is sure that all of these things are connected. She just needs to figure out how. And I'm rereading before the next book comes out in June, I believe. And like I said, your mom's going to be visiting us this next weekend. So we're going to take a week off from recording so we can actually, you know, spend time with her. I'm sure she'll appreciate that sacrifice you're making. (laughs) I hope so. But I'm also going to be picking up a couple other things in the time between recordings of the podcast. I might pick up a NetGalley arc because I have another one of those that's coming out in June I'm probably going to start Warcross, which is that book that we're going to read together next for the podcast. And then just whatever I feel like mood reading after that, if I have the time, it all just depends. I guess that means it's time to get into what you read this week. Which was a book. A book. Yes. (laughs) Compared to mine, that sounds so ridiculous. (laughs) I read literally over a thousand pages more than you this week. (laughs) Yes, but... It was good. It was a good book, no less. Obviously, I read Every Heart is a Doorway. So Every Heart, a Doorway. A Doorway. I'm adding other words in there now <laughs> by uh, Seanan McGuire. Yes. And it was it was good. I honestly really enjoyed it. You told me last night that you kind of want to read Jack and Jill's stories. And I'm like, those are the ones I care about almost the least. I want, I want to read them all. Only because, like, I, I love, like, fairy tale esque style stories, which this kind of gives you a little bit of. I mean, on the fringes, maybe. Yeah. Because Every Heart of Doorway is a story about Nancy coming to Eleanor West's home for wayward children. 
And while she is there, she's learning about people trying to deal with coming back from these portals and not being able to access their doors to go back to these places that are basically perfect for them, meant for them, yeah. everything they would want or need to feel at home somewhere. Perfect design. Yeah. yeah. And she really doesn't want to learn all this stuff. She'd rather just go back. And most people there feel that way because that's what the school is for. Well, well, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to go back to the perfect world for you? It would be yes. basically just like front row seats at Penguin's Games for the entire rest of your life. And you'd just be like, this is great. I don't need a new portal for that. I just need money for that. Yeah. But it also then goes into this darker realm because students start dying and there's a murderer in their home. Yeah. And I really liked that it's not just them lamenting the fact that they can't go back. And I like that there's another aspect to the story. Yeah. Also, in this story, you have a lot of LGBTQIA rep that it feels like it's not just there for the sake of having the representation, so it will be put on lists about representation. It seems like because Sean and McGuire is in the LGBTQIA community... I didn't know that. That's eye-opening to me. That they explains it. want rep because people like this just exist in the world, and so it should exist in our right. literature. Right. And I want to speak on that for a second before we get into the nitty-gritty of the story because I feel like the asexuality rep is possibly... Aside to being ace spec, that is true for the author, but also kind of has negative connotations for other asexuals because Nancy is the asexual person in the story. And in her world, everything is about being stoic and silent and rock still, basically. And asexuals are seen as people with no feelings and emotions. And so she's put in this harsh world that she loves being in and she's asexual and that just further pushes that stereotype of asexuals of asexuals are cold and unfeeling or aromantics if you'd rather talk about that side of asexuality. I guess from an outside perspective being me I didn't read that far into it. I don't know. I, I kind of disagree to an extent, but obviously as not on that spectrum, I can't speak on it either. I don't yeah. know. It, it's a weird, weird predicament to be in as a white man in America that is straight. Like, it's just, I, I, I want to express my opinions, but I know that I'm, I'm kind of not allowed to in an extent. Like You can express your opinions. You just have to understand that people who are asexual have more knowledge about the way they are perceived and the way they actually are. Yeah. And that's all you really need to, like, toe the line for when it comes to discussing this one. It, it kind of is, I guess, the way you, you're personally perceiving it in, in, in that instance. And shoot, that's the way media is as a whole. Like, any type of book, like, everybody's going to have a different perception of right. things. But, like, the way I saw it was that it didn't have anything necessarily to do with her asexuality. That that was the reason she was like being stoic and quiet and still and not speaking up or anything like that. I thought it more had to do with just her personality, not necessarily right. the sexuality side of it. But again, that's just my perspective on how I read the book. I think my thing stems from the fact that I have heard things through the years that are similar to that. If you're asexual, you're unfeeling and you're cold and you And that's not true. You don't really have a like personality and that you're childish and all this other stuff. And besides the childish thing, I think the rest of that is kind of pushed into Nancy's personality and she is an asexual person and she is sent to this like cold and almost unfeeling world in her portal fantasy and it just to me i feel like that goes too much with the stereotype despite the fact that there are probably asexuals who are this stoic person and it has nothing to do with them being asexual it's just their personality yeah but as an asexual who is not that personality i'm not a stoic quiet calm person but i'm still asexual it's like I don't like that stereotype being furthered, 
but I'm sure there are people who are asexual who would read this and have no problem with the portrayal. See, like, the personality that I got from her was that, uh, well, obviously, she's very straightforward that she's asexual in the book. Like, almost in the first two chapters, it's there in front of you. Right. Multiple times. But... I always thought she was just more of kind of like a shut-in goth type person a little bit, <laughs> okay. like, honestly. And and I don't know, that's just the vibe I kind of got from her character development that you get in such a short span. And I, I think that me, that perspective is because, again, I I have a little bit more of an oblivious perspective to it. Like, I'm not, I'm not reading between the lines as heavily as somebody who might be coming from that spectrum would be. Well... Especially since you don't know the nuances of like I don't, the not. discourse between allosexuals and asexuals in the LGBT community. I understand asexual, but as soon as you said allosexual, it's like another language to me. I have no idea what that even means. So asexuals. I, I wasn't asking for a lesson, just to clarify right now on the podcast. No, I'm not trying to give okay. you a lesson. Just if anyone is listening, asexuals are people who don't experience sexual attraction, and that's the end definition of being an asexual. Allosexual is you experience sexual attraction of some kind. Yeah. That's it. But, like, in the discourse throughout my years of being a quote-unquote out asexual, you don't really come out, but kind of. I've had a lot of people say these things, and so I've had this sort of discourse. Like, my personality is not like that at all. So I think Nancy and I are just two different personalities, but we also have asexuality in common. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the most childish thing about you is that you collect toys, like, and and, and stuffed animals. I know men who collect toys who are heavily heterosexual. Yes, yeah. So, like, that's about the only one I would really cross off the list for you as, like, stereotype, necessarily. But as for the rest of this book, because it's not all about the representation of LGBTQIA plus people. I kind of understand you saying that it's kind of like a fairy tale type story, but at the same time, it goes in that twisted and darker place by having this murder mystery happen. But legit fairy tales. Like, if you go back to their base... The worlds where they came from. They're super dark. Like, they're not... They're not... The original... Childish Fairy tales, yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I. But that's very different from when you say the word fairy tale, what typically people think of nowadays is not quite you know the original fairy tale or this story in particular again i think that comes back to personal perception but right yeah for the most part people don't think of the dark twisted stuff as a fairy tale right but it opens with first before we even get into the first chapter eleanor west is basically narrating how she gets the children to her home and how she manipulates the parents and doesn't really tell them what's going on, but finds a way to get the children the help that they need. Right. And I like that because that kind of shows Eleanor's personality. Because she came from a nonsense world. So I like that she kind of uses... Nonsense twisted, to make it work. Twisted logic or kind of nonsense to get the children to her home. Yeah. To better protect them against the nonsense of the rest of the normal world. I wouldn't call the regular world nonsense. I would just say it's not what the children would want. Right. And Nancy shows up with her flowery bag that her mom made her get. Which was ironic to me because, again, closet goth is what I got. Like, just, like, I'm hiding in my house, never coming out. Yeah. Yeah. But when she goes to unpack in her and Sumi's room, discovers that all of her black, gray, and white clothes have been replaced by her parents with all these colors that she doesn't want to wear. Yeah. And I feel like that kind of speaks to the issues that people in the LGBTQIA community have to deal with, with what people want you to be and what you really are and that sort of thing. But also, if people took out my favorite clothes, I'd just be mad. Like, this is my favorite stuff and you got rid of it. Right. I hate you. Yeah. But I also really enjoy the fact that Sumi is the person that got paired up with Nancy. She honestly was probably the one character in a book that I connected with almost immediately. Because you're made of nonsense as well? Well, I guess you know, I, I thought it had more to do with like me being an extrovert. Like I would probably make friends in that situation very quickly as well. Yeah, yeah. The thing with Sumi is she doesn't give you a choice. Yeah. 
Like, it's just if she there. decides you're her friend, you're her friend. And, like, that's just how it is. And I feel like that's sort of how introverts gain friends to begin with, is you're just adopted by an extrovert, and that's how it is. Yeah. So I really thought that was fun and cute. And I liked a lot of the nonsense she was saying, because she was saying things that make sense in a very nonsensical way. Yeah. And I believe you saw, I had underlined a couple things yeah. that Sumi had said, because, like, I think she's very wise as a character, but because she's playing up all these childish things and being nonsensical, it doesn't come across as that. Yeah. And it made me really sad that someone killed Sumi. Like, when I was reading this the first time, I was legitimately upset. Yeah. I was so mad. Because she's one of my favorite characters. And not just they killed her, they killed her first and took away her hands, which, like, what? Yeah. I thought that was really twisted, but because there had been elements earlier in the story about her using her hands and how she was using her hands, I kind of understood why they would be removed. Yeah. Not that I knew why these body parts go We're missing away, over time, yeah. but just if someone's going to remove a body part from Sumi, I would assume it would be her hands. Yeah. So that made sense to me. And then starts a lot of finger pointing because everyone thinks that Jack of the Jack and Jill twins is the one who did it because her personality is sort of... Mad scientist vibes. Mad scientist, very cut off from most of the student body and being very just like clinical about everything. Yeah. At the same time, when I was reading it the first time, I never thought it was actually Jack because... She lists off all the reasons it can't be her, and I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But to everyone else, they're like, oh, you must have thought really hard about this to try to come up with excuses for reasons it can't be you. Yeah, I, I'm i on the same page with you on that. I will be honest, like, the person that ended up doing it, I definitely thought multiple times throughout the book, I'm like, yeah, it could be. Yeah, like, I think the thing that mostly gives away at her being the one who does it is that... She's conveniently never around when things happen. I think more than that is the world that she came from is this really dark and creepy world. So despite the fact that this character doesn't act dark dark and and creepy, creepy, she comes from a world where like her home portal is a dark and creepy place where she belongs. And it's like, if you belong there, then that has to be part of your... Personality. personality at least a little bit yeah but then in their group therapy session in the evening it sort of devolves into like pointing fingers at people and during the night they're supposed to always be with one other person at least so they're never alone which feels very clue-esque to me yeah just everybody pair up and a girl named laurel i think goes missing and she's discovered the next morning and her eyeballs have been removed because she comes from a world where your vision is really important and being able to see tiny microscopic things because it's like a spider world, which, yeah, gross, no. But it was what was in her heart, and that's where she went. I just love that they called it a, a web world, and I'm like, oh, she's online. No. <laughs> I think they mean spider webs. I, they 100% mean spider webs. And I think that's when people start connecting the dots that the body parts that are being taken are the things that make them special and unique and sort of is the key to unlocking their portal world. And there's more people pointing the finger at Jack and Jack, Nancy, and I believe it was Christopher. Yeah. All three are sort of tasked with getting rid of the body for Laurel because if they report the second body... That means most likely the school's going to get shut down and they have to all go back to living their regular lives in their regular world, which they were having trouble coping with anyway before they came to the school. So they dissolve her body in acid, which creepy. That definitely doesn't make people think you're innocent, Jack. And then Christopher has a unique set of skills that at some point they utilize. Yeah, so he can... Make the body dance, the skeleton the, the bones, dance. Yeah, and so he uses his bone flute, which is creepy as well, and ends up getting the body to go out into a far off corner of the yard and goes to bury it. But beforehand, Jack is asking it questions about what happened, 
who killed you, all of this, and getting vague responses from the body because it's just a skeleton. Yeah, but then the skeleton points next to him. Next to Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Or next to her, I should say, Jack. Yes. Yeah. And Jack just goes, okay, that doesn't make any sense. We bury the bones. That's it. Yeah. When they come back from dealing with the body of Laurel, they realize that they can't find Jill. And so they're going looking for her. Cade and Nancy go to the shady place on the grounds that they've found her before. And the other two were looking inside the house to try to find her. They actually end up taking a break from trying to look for Jill and go have some hot chocolate upstairs in Cade's room Yeah, for some reason. And they're discussing the case, I guess you could call it. And that's the like main topic about why people would want these body parts and what would they use them for. And Jack says something about sometimes murder is about what's missing. Right. Which is creepy AF. Oh, I also believe this, they have lunch, and then I believe Eleanor says something about protecting as many of the children as she can by sending some of them through her door, because her door isn't like the other ones that disappear. Hers is sort of like a constant. Yeah, permanently open, more or less. And so, because she was from a nonsense world, most other nonsense people can go through it, but whether or not they can stay is dependent on their personality types and whether it, if they mesh with the world that Eleanor is from. Right. And then, during the night, while Cade, Christopher, and Nancy are all sleeping in the room she used to share with Sumi, they suddenly hear someone screaming in the woods and rush out. And it turns out that it was Lundy, and the murderer had killed Lundy and taken her brain. I feel like of the body parts, that was probably the hardest one to remove. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah, because like eyes and hands probably aren't the most... Well, but the way that the eyes were removed, I feel like would take a long time because it was like they had to be very precise to not remove anything that they needed from the eyes. Yeah. And that takes some skill. I would imagine it would. The brain, I feel like you just need a bone saw. But it also turns out that a girl named Serafina had gone missing around the same time that Lundy gets discovered. And that's when the conflict really comes to a head for the school. So everyone is yelling at Jack and Nancy and Christopher because they come from like darker worlds, worlds that aren't like all rainbows and sunshine and moonbeams and whatever else. So they must be the murderers because of that. Right. And that's when everyone is going back inside to the home to try to look for Serafina. Nancy ends up freezing on the porch, not moving a muscle, being still a stone, barely having a heartbeat. Yeah, it's described literally at one point getting the heartbeat down to one heartbeat per second. Per minute. Per minute? Yeah. Okay. Which is even worse. Yeah, well, no kidding. (laughs) And at that moment... Nancy, because she's kind of shaded in the porch and not seen very well in the middle of the night, Jill comes out from a corner of the house and Nancy can see blood on Jill's outfit. Mm -hmm. And Nancy realizes, obviously, Jill is the murderer. Almost instantly at that point. And Nancy goes to Jack with this information. And Jack admits that they probably knew on some level that Jill was the murderer but didn't want to, like, admit to it. Right. And that's sort of when the real story of why Jack and Jill had to leave their portal, the Moors. Yeah. It wasn't because Jack was this mad scientist. It was because of Jill and what she and her master, this vampire, were doing. Yeah. And they believe that this is her attempt to get back to the moors yeah like open a portal door basically by putting the best of everything in one person so that it opens the doors i think it was supposed to be that like she could reanimate the put together corpse and that would open the portal any portal more or less yeah and they realize she's probably doing this in the attic because that's closer to the sky to try to manipulate a storm via the lightning yeah And they find Serafina up in the attic with Jill. Laid out on a table. Yes. Ready to be zapped by lightning and brought back to life. 
And of course, Nancy's talking about how horrified she is that they're doing this to dead people. And like her home world was all about being an underworld and like escorting the dead and giving them the respect that they deserve. And she feels like they're not being respected. Yeah. Which ends up working as like a perfect distraction for Jack to get her hands on a pair of scissors. Yeah. Jack takes a pair of scissors to her sister's back. Yeah. And kills her. But Jack has always been able to go back to the Moors. It's just she wasn't supposed to bring her sister back. Right. But now that she's killed her sister, she can't be with the vampire that she was with. Because she's dead. Because now she's dead. And so she will go back to the Moors to the doctor she was working with and they'll reanimate her corpse and she can have her sister back and be in the home world that she wants to be in. Right. Which I'm like, why didn't you do that to begin with? I don't think she really knew that that was the right solution at that point in time until it kind of clicked, like, yeah, now I have a reason to murder my sister, so. I mean, it's probably one of those things, like, murdering your twin sister is sort of unthinkable, and then when she starts doing unthinkable things, then you can. It's excusable. I don't know about excusable, but it's (laughs) something that you use to reason out, I guess. But then... Jack goes with Jill through their door to the moors and left everyone to deal with all the other bodies lying around. But thankfully, Serafina ended up being fine. So it's really just Lundy's body they had to deal with. And the last chapter closes out with people going home for the holidays because I believe it's Christmas time at this point. Yeah. And Nancy has to take back her old suitcase and her old clothes in order to go home and pretend like she's doing well at the school so she can keep coming to the school. Right. And when Cade brings down her bag, she opens it and finds a note from Sumi, Mm -hmm. who had left it there for her after she had been so distraught over her clothes going missing. And the note basically says, like, you get to decide who you are and... When your story ends and begins. When Nancy really takes that to heart is when we see her door open and she's able to go back. And, like, especially seeing that scene where she goes back, you can see, like, how happy she is to go back to a place that she loves and she's loved for who she is. And I really enjoyed that. I'm glad she got to go back. Yeah. I thought it was kind of a weird way to end a book, especially knowing that it was part of a series, but knowing how the rest of the series is written now, it kind of makes sense to close the door on it. Like, it is meant to be a one-off novella more so than anything. Yeah, the series are sort of all standalones, kind of. Like, their own short stories, basically. Yeah, and we get in the other books in the series to see other portal worlds, I've never continued on with the series just because the one I'm interested in is Nancy's, which, I mean, you would expect that not to be the case given the discussion I just had about Nancy and I being different people. But, like, I don't know that I would enjoy Sumi's nonsense world, despite loving Sumi as a character. And, like, I definitely wouldn't enjoy Jack and Jill's because that just sounds like a horror movie. It sounds like an old school fairy tale. Horror movie. No. Horror movie. I'm excited to read it. Yeah. Are you going to continue on with the series? I, I think I might. I don't know that I'm going to do it like immediately, but yeah. um, I do want to read the series. I think the thing that kept this at a four star for me and not any higher is that I felt like everything happened so fast because it's a novella and not a full-blown novel. Yeah. And I feel like if you had doubled the amount of pages, I could have really loved this and this could have been a five star, like all-time favorite book for me. But it's just, it's good. It's just so fast. I will agree with that. But I do think the author as a whole connects you with the characters very quickly in a very little amount of time, which I think a lot of authors really struggle with doing. So, like, when Sumi died less than halfway through the book, I, I was attached. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, like, other books haven't done that to me, you know? Well, I think... Part of that is how, like, childish and nonsensical she is while still saying smart stuff. But I think part of that is also just, I feel like most of the characters are stripped down. And so you don't have the typical human contradictions that you have in full-blown novels. So I feel like that's how she can pull that off so fast. But I also think she did a, a good job with the representation to an extent, obviously... 
white straight guy. I shouldn't be talking about that. But like, I think she covered the bases pretty well. Like I was always on the edge of my seat with Cade as a character. And like, we didn't really go into Cade's story that much with our conversation. We tried to right. stay like on point to an extent, but being transgender, it really kind of helped a person like myself understand the perspective at least a little bit. I think you can speak to the fact that there is diversity in the book. You've got a trans character, you've got asexual characters. Sumi was technically, she was kind of bi, right? Like, did I misread that, or? I didn't think it was explicitly stated, but you might. Hinted. You might be right, but I don't remember it being ever explicitly stated. But I do enjoy that the author is making an attempt to put representation out. To put in diversity in her books because, like I said, these people just exist in the world. And, like, it's just how the world is and literature should be a reflection of that. Right. But we will be, like I said, taking a week off to spend time with your mom who's coming on vacation. And then we will be back with more of the same. But we will be discussing the first half of Warcross. Yep. Which is what you'll be reading. That's correct. I'm excited for that. I'm excited to see my mother for the first time in three years, almost. That will also be nice, yes. Um, but we will catch you for a sports episode when we come back. Stay attached to the social medias. Yes, we will be posting while we are away. We will be doing a lot of fun stuff with your mom, so we'll have different types of photos than our normal posts. Which basically means I'll be carrying around a backpack with a bunch of books. I mean, what could be better than that? Right. But we'll see you guys next time. Bye, guys. Bye.